Well, I remember when I was going into junior high, it was uh, a, the little church that I went to. I always had the same Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Rob. I've mentioned her before. Um, what I remember about her, she was really old, and she's still really old today, so she must not have been that old. But, uh, but I remember Mrs. Rob, and, uh, and then I got a new teacher going into junior high, and the first thing they taught was David. They went through this whole thing on David, and it was the first time in my, in my life as a kid going to church, I was excited to go to Sunday school and hear about David, because this guy was amazing. I mean, he was like this warrior, like this cool guy, and so, and so remembering those junior high days, this, the last few weeks, I've been praying about my next sermon series, and that's, that's kind of where God led me talking about David and the life of David and what made dif David different than all the other kings of Israel and many of the other people in the Old Testament. And, and really, the story of David begins long before we even read his name in the Bible. It, he begins, or the stories begin in 1 Samuel. So, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Samuel and skip around with me, but we're going to talk about the first 16 chapters of 1 Samuel. So brace yourself, right? But don't worry, it's not, not quite like that. So, but basically we start David with talking about Samuel. Samuel was this great prophet of Israel. And, and if, you, if you know the story, his mom, Samuel's mom, had prayed and prayed to have a child. And finally God gave Samuel's mom a, a child, which is Samuel. And she dedicated him to the Lord. And he grew up and he not only became the leader and the judge of Israel, but he became the prophet of Israel. He became the military leader of Israel. I mean, Samuel did everything. And he was a great leader in Israel's time. And, and through this time, Israel had all these judges. And then Samuel's the final judge for Israel. And as he's getting older, he puts his sons in charge. And it quite often happens this way. His sons weren't like him. And they didn't lead like him. And so the people didn't like the sons leading. And they complained about them. And they went to Samuel and said, we want a king. We want a king. We don't want a judge anymore. We don't want a prophet leading us. We want a king. Now, this is quite disturbing to Samuel and to God. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 9, here's what it says. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them that the, day, that the way a king or about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel is going to warn them and tell them, hey, God will give you a king, but I'm just telling you, it's not what you think it's going to be. And he talks about when they come out of Egypt, and, and we know the story of the Exodus when, when Moses comes down, and through Moses, God leads the people out of Egypt. And, and eventually, there on Mount Sinai, he gives Moses ten simple commandments for his people. And the first three commandments he gives them is, hey, only worship God. God alone, Yahweh, and honor him, love him. Those are the first three commandments. Hey, love God and only God. And now, in this 
this moment, the, the nation of Israel wants to remove God as their king. Because in, in essence, that's kind of the way it's been. We have a judge, but the judge is also the prophet. He's also the spiritual leader of the kingdom. But they want a king. And here's what it says. After Samuel warned them, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. And so here, what the people are saying is, hey, we want to be like everyone else. We want to be like the other nations. We don't have a king. We want a guy that we can see that leads us into battle. We don't want a God as king anymore. We want someone we can see. In other words, they want an earthly king. And you can see why God's saying, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. All I wanted is to be their God. And they're saying, you know what? We want to be like them. We want an actual earthly king. And so in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, we meet the very first king of Israel. And his name is Saul. And, and, and so here's what it starts with Samuel 9, 1 and 2. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish in the land of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And so here is the future king. And what does he have? Well, he's really handsome and he's really tall. Sounds a lot like me, obviously. But, but here's, here is Saul, right? And, and, God and God brings Saul and Samuel together through this. this he basically tells Samuel, tomorrow you're going to run into this guy. And when you see him, you're going to know that he is going to be the next king. And so sure enough, when, when Samuel, the prophet, sees Saul, the future king, he goes, oh, that's obviously a king. Look at that guy. He looks like a king. He carries himself like a king. And so after some events, basically Samuel makes Saul, he ordains him as the king of Israel. And it says, now the Lord told Samuel the previous day about this time tomorrow. I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have, I have looked down my, at my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. And so Saul becomes the very first king of Israel. That's what the people wanted, right? And they were, they were also impressed with Saul. Big, strong, handsome guy. And right off the bat, Saul has great success. Great military success. The Philistines have become their enemy number one at this time in Israel's history. If you can beat the Philistines, man... Things are looking good. And so under Saul, they beat the Philistines. They, they're winning battles, and everyone loves Saul. And, and as time goes by, like most people, they get shoved into this place of leadership. Quite often, all of a sudden, Saul quit focusing on God and began to focus on him. And God quit becoming number one. And Saul became number one. And so through a series of very foolish decisions, basically, God is done with Saul. 
And you can read through that on your own as you read through 1 Samuel, but he makes some pretty bad decisions. And in the end, God rejects Saul as king. It says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my commands. Now, one of the big problems is Saul became king at age 30, and he reigned for 42 years. And so God is kind of stuck with Saul as the king. Back in those days, you couldn't just, I mean, obviously God could have just removed him, but he didn't. So Saul is going to be ruling for 42 years, but God has rejected him. So now we move on from Saul and we go back to Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil. Go to Bethlehem to find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So here God has already picked out another king, even though Saul has many more years to rule. Uh, Samuel's actually scared. God's saying, hey, you need to go to Jesse's house and you're going to anoint a new king. And he's thinking, if Saul finds out, Saul will kill me. And so he's terrified, but he, he goes to this town. God assures him it's okay. He goes to this town, and the elders of the town see Samuel coming, and they're thinking, oh, no, uh, this is the prophet. Why is he coming? They're afraid. And, and so there's a little bit of fear around all this because Saul's the king. Here comes Samuel to anoint a new king, and he's going to the town of Bethlehem. You remember Bethlehem? That's what happens on Christmas. It's long before Christmas, right? But that's where David is from, is, is Bethlehem. That's where Jesse's house is. And so here, basically, Samuel tells them, listen, it's going to be okay. We're going to go to Jesse's house. We're going to have a sacrifice. We're going to have a meal. I'm going to anoint a king, and we're not going to say anything. Okay, we're going to be quiet about this. And so he shows up at Jesse's house, and he tells Jesse. Now, imagine this as a dad, Okay. The prophet shows up at your house and says, here, I'm here to make a sacrifice and have a little party with your family because one of your sons is going to be king. Think about it that as a dad, right? One of my boys, one of my boys is going to be the next king. That's a pretty good feeling, right? And I'm just thinking from Jesse's viewpoint, Jesse's probably already thinking, looking at his sons going, I bet it's that one, uh, maybe that one. No, but most likely it was probably the oldest one, right? Because in that day and time, the oldest one got all the privileges. He was the one that the line went through. And so they wanted to make sure that the oldest one got all the honors, right? And so here you've got Jesse and his boys. You've got the party. You've got the sacrifice. You've got all of this stuff happening right here at their house. And there's this excitement. Why? Because one of my boys, Jesse's thinking, is going to be the next king of Israel, I mean, that's a pretty big honor, right? And so here it starts, and, and Samuel walks into the party, and here's what it says. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So here the first son walks in and he is tall and he is handsome, just like Saul was, right? He looks like a king. 
And, and immediately Samuel goes, this is the one. I can just feel it. And God goes, no, that's, that's not him. That's not the one. And the next one comes in. And no, that's not the one. And, and then another one comes in. He has eight sons. <laughs> and so they keep coming in. And each one, Jesse or uh, Samuel gets excited. And I'm sure Jesse is like, okay, please pick this one. Please pick this one. No, not the one. Seven kids walk by. Seven big, strong boys walk by. And none of them are the king. And Jesse's looking up at God going, what's the deal? You sent me here to this house to anoint the next king. And he looks over at Jesse. Jesse's pretty disappointed at this point, thinking, I thought I was going to get a king out of this. And Samuel, in his confusion, goes, Jesse, do do you have any other kids? And Jesse goes, "You, you know what? I actually do have another one. But he's not here. He's out tending the sheep. He's not here. I mean, just stop and think about that. One of your boys is going to become the next king. But this one doesn't even get invited to the party. It's like he is so low on the list that he wasn't even told that they were having a party to anoint the next king. And Jesse is going, yeah, I guess I do have another one. And Samuel goes, well, get him. We're all going to stand right here until you get him. So they send a servant to go get David, who's out in the field somewhere tending sheep. Now, I just want you to imagine the tension at the party. Okay? We're going to anoint the next king. One of your sons, seven of them just walked by. The seven older brothers were all rejected. Now they're going to get David. I'm just going to guess that Eliab, the oldest one, because oldest brothers are the worst, in case you're wondering, they, he's probably telling the other brothers, it better not be David. If it's David, I'm out of this family. This is, this is terrible. I mean, you could, I, I'm just guessing on the tension here. But eventually David shows up, and the second David walks in, he's young, he's handsome, it says, he's ruddy, which means he's athletic. But other than that, he's the youngest brother, and he's just a kid. But he walks in, and immediately God tells Samuel, that's the one. So right there in front of his older brothers, Samuel anoints him the next king. I'm just going to say family dynamics kind of had something going on there, right? But now David becomes the king. And what's amazing to me is the comparisons here. You look at Saul, and really not just Saul, but David's older brothers, but you look at Saul. Saul was perfect physically, right? You remember? He was the most handsome handsome man in the land. I don't know if GQ magazine said that, but someone said that he wins. He's the most handsome. Plus, he is head and shoulders above everyone else. That's pretty big. And so big, tall, handsome guy, his family, if you remember, Saul was very important and very wealthy. They were respected by everyone in the land. So he not only was big, tall and handsome, but he was from the right family, from the right bloodline, right? And people were impressed with Saul. If you saw Saul walking by, you're probably going to go, yeah, that's, that guy should be a king. I don't know what you'd think, but you're going to think, well, at least he should be an NFL football player. Look at him. Look how big he is. But Saul was rejected by God. David, <laughs> David was too young 
and too small. And what I love about that is literally, literally, Scripture is telling us that it's better to be short than to be tall. And I think that is so key, and I'm just kidding. It's really not telling us that, but I'd just like to add that in there. But David's family was not necessarily wealthy or important. We're not told that they are anyway. They seem to be respected, but they're not the wealthy, important family like Saul's was. David was not impressive. Not even to his own family was he impressive. He didn't even get invited to the party. That's how unimpressive David was at this time. But yet David was a man after God's own heart. And and the beauty of this is you can look at Saul and you can look at David. And you go, what is God concerned about? Well, it's not his outward appearance. It's not his height. It's not his, his muscles. It's not the clothing he's wearing. It's not the bloodline he's from. But it's the heart of the matter. <laughs> you see, we can all put on a good show. We can all put on a good show like Saul. We call it our Sunday best, right? You remember that saying? We want to look good, right? We can even know the right things to say. But it Really, what matters is in here. I grew up with my mom. I would get ready for church, and almost every Sunday, she'd say, you are not wearing that to church. I always had to wear clothes to church that I never wore any other time. And never did she tell me, comb your hair when I went to school. But every Sunday, I had to comb my hair when I went to church because I had to look my best, right? I mean, and, and that's what's so funny about it. I've had people in my ministry since I've been a pastor that literally told me, I can't respect you as a pastor because you wear jeans when you preach. So they couldn't respect me. Now, thank goodness I've upgraded, and now I'm wearing something a little bit better, and I bought these brand new shoes for you guys too. I couldn't wait to wear them on Sunday morning so you guys would be so impressed with what I was wearing. Uh, but... I say that as a joke, obviously funny, but we all do it, don't we? How do we try to impress? We try to impress by what we wear, how we look, how we stay in shape, or, or whatever it is, by what, we, what we, we say outwardly with words. But the problem is we've gotten confused by what people think of us and what God thinks of us. Because Really, when we come to church wearing our Sunday best or we go out into the world trying to be our best outward appearance, what we're trying to do is impress people. That becomes our number one goal instead of what God thinks about us. (laughs) We all want to look good on the outside, and there's nothing wrong with that. Buying new shoes is fun. But the problem is we can follow every rule. We can... We can wear the best clothing to church, (laughs) or we can say the perfect things. We can look like the perfect religious person, and yet our hearts can be far from God. We all know that. We've all been there. We've all showed up to church and put a smile on, and we've tried to say the right things, and then inside there's something not quite right. What did God say to Samuel? The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. So what matters most about you and I? 
It's our heart. (laughs) What does God want most from us? He wants to be the king of our heart. We just sang it in a worship song, hey? He wants to be the king of our heart. He he wants us to love him more than anything else. And and if you go to Deuteronomy 6, the time that, that they're writing about the Ten Commandments, there's this prayer that the Israelites used for years called the Shema. And it says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then we skip ahead to Jesus, right? They said, Jesus, what's the most important thing? He repeats the Shema. And he says, you must love the Lord your God with your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Neither of these say, man, you need to wear really nice clothes. You need to look your best. When you talk to people, you need to show them how spiritually deep you are. It doesn't say any of that. It says, no, it matters what's going on in here. All the right things. And say all the right things. And be far from God. And the question this morning is, where's your heart? What's your heart like this morning? And and only you and God know your heart. We can't see into your heart. You can't see into my heart. Only me and God know what's going on in here. And most of us, if we're honest, we're sometimes like Saul. And sometimes we're like David. Sometimes we're somewhere in between. I, I found it interesting this week as I was reading through this, I was thinking about about Saul. And I was thinking, in some ways, Saul is very much like the first man, Adam. Adam gets put into this role as the first man, right? Saul was the first king. And the first man gets, he gets the garden. Man, everything was perfect in the garden. And God walked with him, and God talked with him, and, and everything was just right until that fateful day When he and Eve stood there and she began to eat the fruit and then she handed it to Adam and said, here, it's actually really good. And in that moment, Adam had this decision to make. God had told him, don't don't eat from that one. All the rest of the trees, man, you have them all. And they're all really good. You don't have to eat from that one. But you know what the serpent told him? The serpent said, if you eat this, you'll be like God. You'll know what God knows. And so in that moment, Adam and Eve made a decision to do what? To be like God. Instead of letting God rule their hearts and being in love with God, they decided they wanted to be like God. Same thing happened to Saul. He steps into this kingdom, and he's the ruler, and things are going well, and God's blessing, and then all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, he goes, man, I'm really important, and I'm really strong. And I can do things on my own. And you know what? I'm the most important. And Adam and Saul both fell. God rejected them. And then you go from there and you look at David and Jesus. 
And, and you look at these two, and there's so many comparisons between David and Jesus, not just the town they were born in, uh, but, but Jesus talks about being the son of David, the son of man. And, and so you've got this, and, and here David steps into a kingdom that is a mess and broken. And in essence, he comes in and saves it. Jesus steps into a kingdom that's broken, right? And he steps in and he saves it. But here's the thing. David and Jesus, you know what they did? They simply pointed people to God. Their heart, their heart was in the right place. God was the king of their heart. And so what did they do? Reflected people to God. They didn't try to do it on their own, they just said, hey, he's the one we should love. David wrote tons of the Psalms. In Psalm 18, David wrote, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. What powerful words. But you imagine starting of the day with that? Instead of the stress of, man, what am I going to put on? How am I going to impress people? What if I just go, God, I love you. And you are my strength. <laughs> I used to coach football. seems like another lifetime ago. And I had this little tiny team. We played eight-man football because we didn't have enough players to have 11. And it was in Kansas, and so there was other small schools we played but we started the program and in year two we had I had eight kids for my eight-man football team so no one could come off the field they had to play the whole game and one of those kids his name was Judah and not the Judah that goes to our church but unfortunately he was the same size as the Judah that goes to our church but he was a freshman in high school he would have been big for a first grader but he was not big for a freshman in high school I was bigger than he was and he's this little tiny guy and but I tell you what, when I look back at that team, I would have taken eight Judas and happily lost every game. <laughs> we were playing this big school that we had no business playing, and they had a wide receiver that was six foot five, and he was fast, and he was big, and he was good. And they were beating us 65 to seven. And the game was almost over. It's the fourth quarter. I mean, we did, the clock's just ticking down. And we had lost. I mean, it's over. And, and they run one more play, and they literally throw a deep pass to try to score a touchdown. I guess just to humiliate us is possible. And Judah, five foot five Judah is covering six foot five, all world wide receiver who had scored a bazillion touchdowns. And Judah's right there, but the guy catches it right over Judah, and he starts to run for another touchdown. And Judah jumps the last second and grabs one leg. No lie. He's holding on to his one leg being drugged down the field. The guy's literally pulling Judah. He's bouncing behind him. It's 65 to 7. The game is over. Even as the coach, I'm thinking, Judah, just let him go. Just, it's over. But Judah refused to let go. And as he's hanging and bouncing, <laughs> he takes his other arm and eventually gets a hold of the other leg. 
And so now he's bouncing with both legs and the guy's walking more like this now. And eventually he pulls his way up his legs and squeezes them together and the six foot five receiver finally falls to the ground and the game was over. But what happened? The other team's fans stood up and gave Judah a standing ovation. And I tell you that because Judah was not very good at football and he wasn't very big, but his heart, wow. I wish everyone had a heart like that. Because when our heart is in the right place and God is the king of our heart, oh my goodness, what we can do, what we can accomplish, what walls we can break down, that's when the world is changed, when people's heart is in the right place and God is the king. I just want to take a few moments and just bow our heads and just contemplate our own hearts between you and God. Just bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, as we sit here in the quiet and just look into our own hearts, my prayer is that you would, you would become the king of our hearts, that you would show us the things that need to be moved out of the way, the things that need to be removed from our lives so that we can just make you the king. love you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.